Welcome to Public Health Speaks. I'm Robert Jennings. Public Health Speaks is a podcast series brought to you by the National Public Health Information Coalition. With each episode, we explore the successes and challenges in public health communications and ways to tackle the most pressing issues facing federal, state, and local jurisdictions. If you can get a budget to promote what you're doing, not just through the news media or not just through the social media, I would use every avenue you can to get our messages out and do it on a consistent basis year-round, whether we're in a crisis or not. Joining me today is Phil Rooney, Resource Specialist with the Douglas County Health Department in Omaha, Nebraska. Phil is also a former news journalist and was most recently awarded the Nebraska Public Relations Society of America's Professional of the Year Award. Welcome, Phil. Good to be here, Robert. Appreciate the opportunity to share some thoughts with our uh, members. We're absolutely glad to have you. So you are a resource specialist. Can you share with our audience a little bit about your role with the Douglas County Health Department? Resource specialist is simply the title that fit in with the union contracts and sensing. I'm actually the public information officer. Basically, I do all the things a public information officer does, set up news conferences, do news releases, handle some of the um, interviews, prepare other folks in the office for interviews, try and develop new creative methods of reaching out to our audience, and you know, also spend a lot of time managing image and some time boots on the ground in the various communities to make sure they know us and hopefully develop relationships there that will pay off. Excellent. So since the beginning, public health communicators have been on the front lines of our nation's response to COVID-19. How has your job evolved over the past two years? Well, it's become considerably more high profile than it was before, and I wasn't exactly unknown at that point, but there have been weeks where I've probably been on TV almost every day, virtually every day, and showing up on the weekends, working weekends. The, the demands have been much greater than they usually are when the biggest concern was an STD epidemic or a, a new nutrition program that we wanted to share with folks. So I have been able to get a little help in the office here, and uh, I think hopefully that will be expanding. I think, you know, we were kind of prepared with some of the communications ideas, but I think the biggest thing has been the physical demand because it just has been endless. At the beginning of it, I would get media contacts after 1030 at night, and I've had them as early as about 330 in the morning to confirm things. Well, unfortunately, what you're going through as a public health communicator is much like what your colleagues around the country are dealing with. So we'd certainly understand the challenges and the demands on your time. When I started, Robert, when this started... We had a command staff meeting people from the city, public safety, the fire department, all the folks that might be involved. And I told them that this is likely to be the biggest story any of these reporters ever cover. And, well, my crystal ball was still working at that point. Absolutely. So for those of us who don't know a lot about Nebraska, can you tell us a little bit about the unique challenges that you face in your state? Well, Douglas County is in the second congressional district. So there is quite a cultural difference between our part of the state and the rest of the state. There's very much a rural-urban split here. We have, between our county, Douglas County, and the neighboring county, Sarpy County, we're very close to a third of the state's population in two of the 93 counties. So we have a much more diverse population, pretty much reflects what the country is, about 12% African-American, 14 15% Latino, and the various white and a few, you know, there's a smaller Asian population. There are places in the state where a person would have to drive 50 miles one way to get a vaccination or a test. So while, you know, we've had days where we've had thousands of people go through some of our vaccination clinics early on, there aren't thousands of people who live in some of those counties there. We are a different world. 
We have two medical schools in our city here, Creighton University, the University of Nebraska Medical Center. So we do have a lot of good health care here, and that probably has helped us, well, that's doubtless saved a lot of lives. Because people do have world-class facilities here to go to and be treated. And you did talk about many of the challenges and just mentioned the hospital systems. What has been some of the surprising successes that you've experienced during this response? I think we've had an awful lot of support from the community. The local media has been very responsive and responsible. Of course, you've got the local news talk station that is a bit of a challenge sometimes, but I've had a relationship with them. So at least early on, some of that went pretty well. And I would have to say that probably the biggest success is the relationships that were developed previously with the local news media who really are interested, for the most part, in serving their community. But I think it is the partnerships that were developed and the um, generally supportive nature of the media. Now, they'll keep an eye on us. If we mess up, they'll let us know. But I think the spark from community groups, their willingness to partner with us. We've had clinics in all the school districts as we've gone forward, and we've had a lot of churches that have partnered with us. So I think it's been very encouraging that we've actually been able to enhance some relationships as we move forward through this, and that'll help us in the future. So a lot of the training that we've gone through as public health communicators over the years was our emergency and risk communication principles. How can those principles be transformed in this new environment? Well, I think what we have done is we've tried, even before the pandemic, to continue to use those risk communications principles on a daily basis. And I think that is, you know, it provides you a very sound framework in addressing any of those questions and concerns that come up. But at any point, we try and develop, or do we try to develop a message map, make sure things are clear? You know, what a 3927 is something that I keep reminding people of, that we have to do that. You need to keep it short. You need to keep it sweet. And if you're talking to some people, especially if it may be a potentially adversarial situation, you want to make sure that you go into a situation planned. And so I want to ask you, what are some of the gaps in public health communication that we need to think about and fix before the next pandemic strikes? One of the most valuable things is developing relationships. Unfortunately, I had that with a lot of the media and the communities by being there and working with them, even when there isn't a crisis. I think developing relationships in advance is important. But as news operations get smaller and smaller, I think it's going to be increasingly important for us to develop things like podcasts, create our own videos that we can put out there and share. And the size of communications sections within an organization need to be expanded. You know, we have, as I said, there are 93 counties. Nebraska geographically is larger than the country of Ireland. So, I mean, we have some areas out there where there are, well, I mean, there are more cattle in Nebraska than there are people. Well, you touched on something that is key and has been talked about in many circles, not the least of which is public health communications, and that is the notion of trust and how we build trust and how we maintain trust. How fragile is trust and is there a role for public health communicators to be involved in building that trust within our communities? Yeah, I think public health communicators have to uh, really take the lead on that. Certainly, if through another way, then making sure that our, you know, the supervisors, the leaders, the directors, and some of the various department heads meet people in the community and know people in the community. I think trust is very fragile. If you mess up, it takes a long time to uh, rebuild that trust. And certainly in, you know, in outreach with uh, the African-American community, we're still trailing in vaccinations are not where they want to be. We have had some good relationships there. Some of that comes from my previous work. And it also comes from people from the community. We do have a very diverse staff, but I think the communicators need to take the role in that. And you also need to reach out for the other partners. 
because it was a bit nerve-wracking when we started this whole thing, but the people in the room that we were working with in the response at least were faces we knew. I would hate to show up on the first day of a pandemic and say, hi, I'm from the government, I'm here to help. That isn't going to work. You need to establish that beforehand. They need to know they can trust you, but you also want to know that they're dependable and you can trust them. There's a lot of work that we need to do in that area, and it looks like you've got a lot of strategies out there that are helping to develop that trust. Yeah, it's, it's not something that ever ends. I mean, you, you just really can't take a day off with it. Absolutely. And so now I'm going to switch gears because you were recently named the Public Relations Society of America's Professional of the Year. And so what is the importance of belonging to a professional organizations like PRSA for us public health communicators? So organizations like PRSA and NIFIC really help keep your knowledge current, keep your skills current, and they provide a sounding board for ideas. And there are times when you need to come up with something relatively quickly, and you can reach out to, well, Laura at NIFIC, and suddenly you have four or five templates for what you might be trying to work out. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. There are seminars or webinars that we can participate in that really help build your knowledge. And then NIFIC, of course, is a wonderful resource because we have access to a nationwide coalition of professionals who have done some of these things before. You know, our community is ever-changing. One thing I didn't want to talk about our community, there is a community of East African immigrants, refugees in Douglas County, 40 or 50,000, which would be probably the third or fourth largest city in the state. And so being able to get translations and learn some of the cultural differences, I got to know some of them and make some connections by visiting a mosque in town. A lot of people in Omaha, probably there's a mosque in Omaha. Yeah, there's a couple of them and a lot of wonderful people here who are really contributing. But, you know, I didn't have a handbook on how to do that. And there was no way I could translate it. So, you know, the groups like NIFIC, particularly in that situation, connects you to other health departments where like in Minnesota, Minneapolis, they had a lot of translations that would be very helpful for us to use. So getting connected to those things is vital. Yeah. But you know what, Phil, that goes a long way to building that long-term trust. And like you said, you don't want to show up to a crisis or emergency situation and say, here, my name is Phil and I'm glad to meet you for the first time. (laughs) So I'm going to end with that, but I wanted to see if there was anything else you'd like to add as it relates to the current state of public health communications. I think the, the point I would like to make to the fellow communicators is if you can get a budget to promote what you're doing, not just through the news media or not just through the social media. I would use every avenue you can to get our messages out and do it on a consistent basis year-round, whether we're in a crisis or not. I think we also need to realize when we're dealing with the media that the line between news and entertainment has just vanished. Well, we'll make that the last word. And thanks for joining us, Phil. Thank you for the opportunity. Hello to everyone and keep up the good work. We really are uh, an important part of the response. Our work is saving lives every day. Thanks for listening to Public Health Speaks. Please join us next time as we continue to address important and timely issues relevant to public health communication professionals around the country. If you like the show, please share it with your colleagues. And if you have comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at info at That's I-N-F-O at N-P-H-I-C This show is a production of the National Public Health Information Coalition. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.